do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet full of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E-2-0. I personally think that Josh Sargent should be the number nine. My biggest concern is that Mexico does tend to make those little mistakes defensively. But it's the inconsistencies. With the Wasn't this inconsistent, though? He's going to well, be on the ground for the majority the, of the No, I look back at highlights. That's, no, that's, if that's you the have... Christian Pulisic treatment, though. Same. We're going to have to stop this. We're going to start arguing on this podcast, aren't we? Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Real Football Show. I'm Lizzie, Nineman's U.S. editor and co-host of this program, alongside Gino Ganello. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. You know, obviously, a little bit disappointed, but like I said in the last podcast, they got to where I wanted them to get to. Everything else was a bonus. We'll get into the, you know, the actual game and the breaking down of the game and the poorness of it, but um, but I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. How are you? How are you? You didn't have any pressure this week, so you don't really have to worry about anything since last podcast. So you say that with such a nice tone, but really, I uh, genuinely. Mean. I mean, it's it's probably got to feel nice. I I feel nice. Yeah, no, it to watch does. These games not having to worry about anything. I um, mean, listen, watching France triumph over Poland that way made it made it feel nice to know that at least it wasn't Mexico wait so I I've been playing I, I've been playing FIFA a little bit more and I've been playing the World Cup mode and like I play on like the world class level which I think is like the second level that you play on mm-hmm. I play the computer I don't play like online or whatever I'm not that good but um <laughs> I've been playing I tried playing with Poland Oof. like playing two separate tournaments with Poland and even the way they're set up in, in FIFA is impossible to score with because they're so bad. <laughs> like, I have no idea. Like, it, I was just sitting there. I'm like, I don't know how this team got, got out of the group stages. But neither here nor there. But nevertheless, they did. Nevertheless, they did. Nevertheless, they did. So we're going to be talking all things U.S. men's national team against the Netherlands before diving into just a little bit more of international football and club football. But we spoke to Greg Berhalter before the tournament, which he's become a huge talking point. But we spoke to him prior to the tournament and asked what his thoughts going into it were and how he visualized the U.S. men's national team doing. So we have a clip of him explaining his thoughts. We are really looking at it as two tournaments. You have the group phase. Mm -hmm. Um, which you need to be in the top two to earn the right to play in the knockout phase. And we can't get ahead of ourselves and, um, and think we're just going to fly into the knockout stage. The group stage is very competitive. Every play, every action matters to the result and, and to you getting through to the next round. So we, we take that first, and then we try to move on to the knockout stage. And once we're there, it gets, it gets fun because anything can happen then. And we know that if we play our best game uh, on that day, we can beat any team in the world. So why not try to keep going and try to uh, keep advancing? 
So we know yeah. the United States didn't play their best game and didn't beat anyone in the world. But before Pretty big we part of the equation. Game. Pretty big part of the equation is having a good game. And that is not yeah. what the United States did on Saturday. No. And to remind the U.S. men's national team had success in Group B. They ended in second behind England after a 1-1 draw with Wales, 0-0 draw against England, and then a 1-0 victory against Iran with a Christian Pulisic goal before he got slightly injured. But he was available during the game against the Netherlands. Josh Sargent was not, which was definitely interesting and I think affected the starting 11. But, I mean, I'm sure you have several thoughts, but... Overall, I think the Netherlands took advantage of the U.S. men's national team defensive weaknesses extremely easily. Mm -hmm. And all of this just showed Greg Berhalter's inexperience when it comes to coaching, his mistakes, inability to adjust, substitutions. And I'm disappointed, I think, and, and this is coming as a neutral, but I'm disappointed for you guys, I think, the team had immense amount of talent and untapped potential that Greg Berhalter simply didn't know how to work out, which is disappointing because I think they genuinely could have made a larger impact. And yes, you guys made it to the knockout, but the results were mediocre at best. I think with the talent at hand, you could have easily defeated Wales, proposed a bigger challenge on England rather than just a 0-0 draw and defeated Iran with a bigger margin. So it's exciting, I think, to see that the U.S. men's national team has a brighter generation, but at the same time, should Berhal just stay, I think it weakens the entire system. And, yeah, I'm sad for you, really. Yeah, I mean, just right out. Just get them right out. <laughs> Send them off. I, I, I mean, honestly... As bad as it was, it might have been the good. It might have been a good thing that it happened because if the U.S. continue on this, play a good game, but they fall or whatever, you know, who knows what the U.S. like? The U.S. Soccer Federation should look at this and say, okay, he was way out of his depths in this one. Had no idea what to do when Netherlands presented a challenge in certain areas that we had not seen prior to this. Um, and he didn't know how to change it. He didn't know how to fix it. We were very lucky to get one goal. Um, the defensive mistakes were like elementary defensive mistakes, like mistakes that you teach kids how to play that type of defense back when you're in, you know, middle school, middle high school. school. Like, like that's that's very easy stuff for even an average, an average soccer fan to see. Um, you know, and I think. It's hard, right? Because I, I think when you're watching the game and you see the United States have a lot of possession, you know, in my mind, you know, immediately in that moment, I'm like, oh, okay, we're controlling possession. We're getting chances, whatever. And I think for me personally, I'm still getting a better understanding of how the game has kind of changed where possession doesn't mean success necessarily. Right. Um, and I still have struggle kind of determining what is success and what is, what is just bl- blind possession that doesn't really mean anything. Um, and I think in other games, the U.S. had possession that, again, was was affected by not scoring on their chances, but it was good possession. But in this game, it was a lot of possession by the center backs, a lot of possession by the defense. There weren't many yeah. cut breakthroughs of the lines. Um, and I think that in the end, this is exactly what Netherlands wanted to do, because I think even if you look back to the three games against Iran, Wales, and 
um, and England. On the counter, we were good enough, but I wouldn't say we were great. Like, we weren't great defending the counter. I felt at times during those games that we had we had some issues on the counterattack, and we had neutralized them because we, as a defense, had played really, really well and had a lot of communication. But then in this game, it didn't seem like any of that was working, obviously. I mean, there were three goals. Shots, shots on target were equal, but what the Netherlands did with their shots and creating their shots was wildly different from whatever the United States was doing with their shots. Of course, who knows what the game looks like if Christian Pulisic puts, in away, puts away that chance in the third minute. I'm sure, yeah. you know, I I have to think at least, you know, you can't be thinking like this because of the way VAR is nowadays and all that. But I would think a little bit of like when I first saw it, I was like, he's a mile off sides. Like I was right. like, I thought he was offside. So honestly, I wasn't even worried about it first. Then I saw the replay. So maybe he had a little bit of that, but you still got to, you still got to put it in the back of the net. Um, and that I could, think it would have changed the emotional balance of the game. Yeah, I think it would have changed. And given the games. confidence needed. But at the same time. I just know Greg would have tried to shut up shop and tried to avoid, you know, that's the problem. There's no, like if we scored that goal, there's no, there's no foot on the gas. There's no stepping on the throat. There's no pushing forward for a second and really trying to put the pressure on the other team. And we've seen that throughout the group stages. It's what happened here. You know, that's, that's probably what would have happened here, but nonetheless, um, obviously, you know, we can talk about a lot of different things. I don't want to, I feel like I'm touching a lot of points. Let's get to the exact points that I'm sure you want to talk about and I can break so those many. down. Because there no. there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. <laughs> um, I think let's start from the beginning. The starting lineup we saw FC Dallas's Jesus Ferreira finally um, kick off with the U.S. men's national team. He started up top instead of Haji Wright and Josh Sargent, who we knew was unavailable. Yep. Walker Zimmerman made his way back into the starting lineup, coming in for Cameron Carter-Vickers, who stepped in against Iran. And pretty much, I think it was the same the same formation. I think there was a lack of Gio Reyna until the second half, and then a lack of Brennan Aronson until the second half. Yep. So, standard. Surprising to see Jesus Ferreira come in. Surprised, personally, to see Walker Zimmerman come back in. But that's the way he started. And... So- Mm-hmm. This is what I'll say about Walker's right. So, so much to say about Walker's Zimmerman, really. But just the addition, the adding him back in the lineup, right? You brought in Cameron Carter Vickers against probably a very similar type of team in Iran mm-hmm. in terms of how they're built up front. Not mm-hmm. tall guys, fast guys, guys who are good on the ball. And then against the Netherlands team, who's definitely better than that, has a lot of players who can get in behind the defense who can affect the center backs in ways. If you're too slow, we've seen him have some trouble. Obviously aerially, he's been very good, but not, no, not one person in the world expected this to be a game where an aerial threat, except for on corners and set pieces was going to be a serious problem for the U S right. So if you're going to do it for the Iran game, why would you switch it again for the, for the uh, knockout stages in the Netherlands game? And I think that's where Greg Berhalter's inconsistencies come into play. Yeah. Where I, for one, can say I don't understand the changes he's making. And we can all speculate into what's going in, what's going on. No one truly knows. But yeah. I truly believe I don't think Greg Berhalter knows. I don't think his reasoning is tactically I, I oriented. 
which is interesting. Well, that's the thing, right? So if we're going to go to the Jesus Ferreira thing, right? Yeah. And we've talked about this already off pod, off the podcast, off the air. Yeah. <laughs> we know, we know Jesus Ferreira is not suited to play the same type of game as Josh Sargent and not suited right. to play the same type of game as Haji Wright. Mm-hmm. They're different players. Yeah. So the fact that Greg does not have the tactical nuance to go out there and change the tactics based on the player that, and it's not like he was changing it. You know, he was like, Oh man, I'm going to switch this around because things like Josh Sargent was hurt and we knew he was hurt and we knew he was doubt for the game. So for those games, he should have a different tactical plan for a player like Jesus Ferreira in this situation, because Jesus Ferreira is not the type of player that can come and accept the ball in the midfield and play off him. He's a guy that I think probably works better off the last defender and making those runs right. in behind the defense. And they asked him to do a job that he was not capable of doing. Yeah, and as you know, our our you know our, produ- our our producer Edwin has said this as well. You know, he the, doing that screws up everything else. It screws up the yeah. entire defense because if Jesus Ferreira loses a ball or plays a ball poorly or or can't get to a ball. Then Tyler Adams has to step up, and Weston McKinney has to step up, and and Eunice Moose has to step. I mean, what I will yeah. say, this is what I will say about the Dutch, right? As much as the there Dutch. were mistakes here, yes, the Dutch, the the Netherlands, I, whatever name you want to use. No, we love the Dutch. Whatever name we want to use, yeah, I know. Now we've come, we've crashed out of the knockout stages because of the Dutch, and you've crashed out of the do- knockout. Yeah, stages literally. Of the Dutch. Um, but what I will say is, defensively, they were very good, and we knew that yeah. they were a very organized team. They played man to man. They took the midfield out of the game completely. Yeah. They denied the ball. They were tight on everything. They were tight on everything. Eunice Musa was not nearly as effective as he was in the first three games. So from a Dutch perspective, it was phenomenal defensively. It was a great, but like, that's where it comes in, right? It's like Greg's plan A doesn't work. And all of a sudden it's just boot balls up and hope or pass balls around and hope that there's something that opens up and there's a mistake that's made. And that's a problem. You have right. to have a plan B, and Greg never has a plan B. Yeah, and it was concerning in that way. Um, and I think the Netherlands head coach, um, Luis Van Gaal, said it perfectly. The U.S. men's national team and Greg Berhalter did not adjust when they needed to. And we and took advantage of that. They never they, Yeah, exactly. Um, I do it's- think we need to point out the center back pairings. Um, Walker Zimmerman and Team Ream individually – are not bad players, but the importance of those positions, you need to have chemistry, you need to have communication, you need to be able to work off of each other. And their lack of time on the pitch together showed against the Dutch. You had both players pulling back and falling right into their hands. Whereas, and I hate the comparison, and it's, I don't mean it to go this way, but Mexico, you look at them and you have Hector Moreno and Cesar Montes who train together daily. I understand that's not the situation of the U.S. men's national team, but call-ups, every friendly play, CONCACAF qualifier, you have those two together constantly to the point where you understand what the other one is doing. Yeah, You don't need a word. You don't need to scream. You, don't, you can read off of each other. Yeah, And I think the U.S. men's national team needed that because every player was playing to their own and you don't have a unified team and, and it comes from Greg Berhalter. Yeah, it's and hard to do that. It's hard to do that when you don't have a coach who's going to tell you that, you know, give you a, a unified plan, you know? Like you said, it's individual it, talent. And I don't think any of them trust him. I don't think any of them no, trust him. No, they don't. Him. And there's, I mean, few have come out in support of his tactics while others have not. But 
this goes way back before the World Cup and yeah, into yeah. 2019. You think about CONCACAF qualifiers, Gold Cup, Nations League, every friendly. Those three and a half years of prep are not just so you understand what 26-man roster is going to be there for you in Qatar. Yeah. But to test out formations, plan A through Z, working out these players. He didn't call Haji Wright. He didn't call up Tim Ream, yeah. Josh Sargent, Jordan Peffock. I know he didn't make it to the World Cup, but he didn't call up these players. Sean Johnson. Yeah. Well, There's I... so many players on this team that weren't called up to camps where you work out all these kinks and all these things out on the field. Yeah, I mean, what I will say is, to play devil's advocate here, this is not the center back pairing that Greg Berhalter wanted at the World Cup. I, he, no, I, I know for a fact he probably he wanted Chris Richards and he wanted Miles Robinson. Yeah. Those two got hurt, and that's the unfortunate part of this World Cup and you know what's happening with this World Cup and the injuries. But that's why you call up different players. But There's yes, no you do have to that list. For example, Mexico called up 35 players for a friendly. Yeah. And I'm not saying you have to play all of them, but once yeah. you have them under your camp, you can test out different things. You can make players get to know each other. Yeah. I don't know what kind of conversations Walker Zimmerman and Team Reed had before the World Cup, yeah. but it, they definitely were not close. Um, and that could have wor been worked out at each camp. And that's yeah. when having an extensive and deep bench works to your advantage. And I think the U.S. men's national team had that. Yeah. But Greg Berhalter did not capitalize on it. Yeah, I mean, also, you know, you could see it also in the chemistry that they had with the players forward. I mean, granted, Tim Ream had a great you know, I think a great, a great group stage. I think he played very well yes. individually for the group stage, but in this game, you saw him passing the ball out of bounds because he was not on the same page as other players. And you saw him passing the ball to the other team. Cause he was like, this was easily his worst game of the tournament. He did not yeah. play well. And it was very clear that when he did not play well, Walker Zimmerman, it, he was carrying Walker Zimmerman throughout the, yeah. I think throughout the, the group stages, and again, I'll go back to this because I think Mark McKenzie is much more the type of player that would have worked in this situation. I think having Mark, a Mark McKenzie type player, uh, I felt like he was a guy that should have been included in this roster. He was not included. And we'll see because he is the same archetype, the same build, the same type of person as Miles Robinson is. And he was yeah. included in all the camps up until this point. He's good with the ball at his feet, he's tall. He's the guy that should have been there, in my opinion, in that center back pairing. But again, we could talk about the selections day in and day out, and it's, no, it's never going to change. That's, but. What, that's when an intelligent coach can work through yeah. injuries, can work through substitutions, and can maximize the potential that he has on the field. Yeah. And I think Greg Berhalter, as many do, but Greg Berhalter relied on pure individual talent of these yeah. players, and they they did well to a certain extent and then left the that, most like one of the most talented players on the bench for the entire tournament except for the last 45 minutes <laughs> and you know what i there's a reliant individual talent but let's leave the most talent one of the most talented players we have on the in, on the u.s national team in years that. forever in the history of the u.s men's national team let's leave him on the bench for and then for once we do play him of out of time. position out of he started position. him as striker. What is he doing? Why is he starting him in the second it's half at like striker? Just move Tim Weah to what the striker position. What are we doing? What are we doing? Like, really, know. though, Tim Weah has played 45 games 
at center forward. Yeah. Gio Reyna has played exactly, probably, I'm not, I don't know, but definitely zero. less and probably zero. <laughs> like, definitely do less. not, like, and I understand what he was trying to do. Um, and he, this question also relates to this. Why would he bring in Gio as striker and not Wea from the jump? I don't, I don't know, but I understand what he's trying to do too. I think he was trying to add to fluidity of that front three and have them be able to move through the front line. But your center forward, who is the person, like, even if you're going to be fluid, the person who should be playing the center forward position should be someone who's played the center forward position before. And you can't tell me that Greg's backup plan is a false nine with Gio because he's never played that in the history of his time as U.S. men's national team coach. That's what I, and I'll sound, I swear, like a broken record, but you have good players. Yeah. You have infinite amount of talent in front of you. And Greg Berhalter failed to capitalize on that. And that's what lost the game. I mean, yeah. and I will give credit to the Netherlands. They played fantastic. Memphis Depay, amazing. I was personally very excited to see Xavi Simmons come in and have his senior team debut in a knockout game at the World Cup, which is an unreal story for the player. But I think the U.S. men's national team could have had a much greater impact. Great players out there. Yeah. I mean, Tyler Adams is a fantastic talent. Yunus Musa, Gio Reyna, and, and Brennan Aronson. Just great, yeah. great individual players that could have been played a lot better, um, yeah. I think. I mean, listen, but, if you look at the United States, they didn't have many great chances. They scored on probably the hardest chance they probably had to score on from the deflection and the comments here, Haji can only like literally like they, they scored yeah. on a, like a deflection. It was like, it wasn't even on purpose. Like, it wasn't on purpose. They had much better chances. Like offensively throughout the tournament, even when they were down, I think they had chances that could have brought them back into the game. And there were times, but defensively in this Netherlands game, it was so bad in transition. And again, yeah. it, you know, has to do with, Greg Berhalter essentially played three strikers in this game. He played, he started with Jesus Ferreira, played Gio Reyna there for 10 minutes, and then brought on Haji Wright. Why not bring, it's just, there's that right there, just him bringing on Gio Reyna for Jesus Ferreira and not moving Tim Weah to the center forward position. That right there should tell you all you need to know about Greg Berhalter as a coach and why he cannot manage this team for the better. Like, look across to Belgium. And look at what Roberto Martinez is do, has done with that Belgium team. That team had one of the greatest groups of talents that we've seen in the world in modern day. And they got third place at, at best. That was They never made a final. And I think it was because of lack of coaching. And we cannot afford to have that happen with the United States of America. My concern for you and the U.S. men's national team fan base is the narrative surrounding this World Cup. I think it would have been... Probably better had you crapped out in the group stage. Because right now, well, because right now the narrative behind the U.S. men's national team is positive surrounding the World Cup. You made it out of the group. You're in second place. Greg Berhalter took you to the knockout round. And it was a very strong Netherlands team, which it was. And I'm not doubting that. But Greg Berhalter is earning credit for something the players did entirely. And I will maintain that the U.S. men's national team came out to the knockout round despite terrible coaching. Yes. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. 
So I think the positives may come back to haunt certain players coming in support of Greg Verhalter may be a defining factor. What I've been hearing mostly are great comments on Greg Verhalter, and this isn't coming from the fan base, but more in influential figures within USSF is it's is players or players or or like no with ups. Yeah, I think it's yeah. shocking. It's shocking. it's an accepted situation, yeah. and well, what else it is was connection. It was help you get yeah. a lot of places. My All point awesome. is, I think there won't be an immediate firing. I don't. I don't think so either. Think he'll make it to another World Cup cycle, but just because it's in 2026 and anything can happen in three and a half years, but this was not seen as the coaching failure that it should be seen as. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I mean, it, it it's, this is all, I mean, it's on Greg. He should not be the coach. I don't think it's that hard to see. I, I, again, from a footballing perspective, it was bad that the United States did not crash out of the, out of the world cup from a purely yeah. on the field perspective. Yeah. From an Austin Field perspective, as I mentioned multiple times, the United States making the group making it out of the group stages, making it to the knockout stages is big for for you know soccer growing in this country. I mean, yes. I was at why you know it was I you know I was posting videos on the ninety minute account. I went to a place called Football Factory over here um, in New York City, and I tried to get in there at eight thirty in the morning, and it was already packed inside. There was a line out the door, down like five six stores to the next bar that also had people there. Like the that. sport, like there's a lot, like a lot rides on these world cups to grow the sport yeah. in the country for the U from a United States perspective. Yeah. So off the field, it was great that we made it to, to the knockout stages, but from a purely are like making us better in future world cups and making sure the blame is put on Greg Berhalter. It, 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 you know, crashing out of the group stages obviously would have been the better thing in that aspect. And you kind of saw this after his, um, performance in well, his coaching performance in the knockout game. Yeah. Press conference afterwards, he mentioned that the U.S. men's national team don't have a Memphis to pay scoring Champions League goals. I do want to point out that FC Barcelona currently is in Europa League, but besides the point. And let's be honest, have, like how many how many times do we see Memphis to pie pop up on the score sheet for Barcelona? Like how many times is he like doing also, anything for them? Also, I mean, I do not blame your players. Do not throw any player under the bus you also, have exponential amount of talent on the field it doesn't necessarily have to be enough like a star in the champions league no of course but if you play your cards correctly you can make wonders out of this u.s men's let's go let's generation. go back to, let's go back to the covid year in the covid the covid year champions league how did chelsea get to the champions league final was it because Chelsea had a lot of good of other players or was it because Christian Pulisic basically put them on their back and led them to like Christian Pulisic. Well, yeah, I don't care but... what Chelsea fans have to say that champion, like that them getting to that final was a lot of Christian Pulisic. That was his best year by far at club football. And what about, what about Gio Reyna? Gio Reyna scores plenty of champions league yeah. goals. Like, like he acts like we don't have any champions league players when we have players playing over Europe. And this is, you know, maybe it's the, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. But to act like we don't have Champions League quality players on our team is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because we do. Yeah. No, and we that do. can be that can be an opinion or whatnot, but it's not the head coach saying this after 
a three one. Yeah, spot. that's yeah. You can't blame that, that you, on anybody. You don't uh, go there. So. You congratulate the other team. You say I'm extremely proud, which I think he did. Um, obviously, that was just one of many quotes that were yeah. said by Greg Berhalter. But it's important to note that when you say things like that, it sounds like you're deflecting responsibility for what you did and yeah. that you underestimate the quality of the team that you have at hand, which I and think how does is that make the players questionable. Exactly. Exactly. And I also, I need to point out, and I said this during the game and I'm sure as fans, you were watching different things and nervous about other things, but I want anyone listening to this to go back into the game and watch the moment Brennan Aronson is being subbed into the match. He has a quick word with Greg Berhalter where Greg says something and you can clearly see Brennan Aronson saying, I don't know what you want me to do. Looking extremely confused. And if that doesn't pinpoint the exact problem of the U.S. men's national team at this point, then nothing will. Oh, Brendan, I want you to go out there. I want you to play striker. Okay, I don't know what you want me to do. Like, how do I do that? Oh, I don't I don't know either. Just go out there and, like, hope you get on the ball and then hope, hope somebody screws up. Like, he, but again, it, you know. Greg Halter knows how to talk. He He's very good be, on the political side. Very good. He can good. be very charismatic. Yep. And we have several clips of the interview that we did prior to the World Cup, where he can be heard speaking in great ways of the U.S. men's national team. But aside from that press conference, of course, which I'm sure he was upset about the loss, but that's beside oh, the I'm, point. Oh, you know, I'm sure he's um, upset about the loss, but also Greg Berhalter knows that if he goes out there and he's like, you know, like, I thought we played, like, he's, ne- he's never going to come out and say, oh, uh, you know, that was the worst game we've ever played under me. You know, I, I don't know what happened. You know, like, obviously he's never going to say that, but. He's always going to come out and be like, oh, well, you know, I'm really proud of the boys. You know, I think we should be really proud of this. And you should be proud that they got it. Like, again, we talked about this the other day with Mexico, right? Like, and might have been off air. But the United States coming to this tournament is the 16th best team in the world based on FIFA rankings. So as this round of 16, you should get to the round of 16 if you go by FIFA rankings, right? And obviously, it's not the case because of how groups work out and everything. And obviously, Belgium fell out and... And Italy didn't make the World Cup and, and stuff Germany like that. Germany failed out. Germany fell fell out. And and again, they just making it to the group stage or knockout stages should make you very happy. Like that's a good thing. Yeah. That's a thing to be proud about, especially from a United States perspective. And playing the way they did for large parts of the group stages, I think they should be proud about. Yeah. But again, like you said, it's not like that game that we watched on Saturday. There's nothing to be proud about with that game. I mean, maybe like a little bit of resiliency, but like. That like they didn't play a good but, game, and that's that's what the end all be all of this this tournament should be known for. Yeah. Is like United States came out, they showed who they can be, and in the most important game, they weren't who they showed they can be, and they did had no way of fixing it. And I maintain, I think, and I believe it was Kellen Acosta and Walker Zimmerman on Good Morning America today, where Walker Zimmerman maintained, we can beat anyone in the world. That's not something you should probably go out and say two, three days later after losing against the Netherlands in the round of 16. Um, So I think what we'll play... I think what we'll play against the U.S. men's national team is this bubble of positive... Yeah narrative that everybody wants to create i think that will be a weakening point 
when talking about progress and things to improve because the team, figures, players, head coach constantly want to push that the U.S. men's national team is doing phenomenally well. And they are progressing. Mm -hmm. I'll give it to them. They, They have a great generation ahead of them. But if you can't pinpoint your weaknesses and accept them, you won't improve on them. And that's my concern for 2026 and including Gold Cup, Nations League, anything that the Greg Berhalter and USSF will rely on the backs of the talent at hand instead of improving everything else that needs fixing, so including coaching. Yes, I agree. And this is what I'll say to that, right? We made progress. There should be a positive attitude around the team. But time come when time comes in 2026 with the crop of players that we have and the crop of players that are going to be available at that point with the Paxton Aronsons, the Justin Shays, the other players that are coming up through the system, just making the group stage, making out of group stage is not acceptable yeah. anymore. That's not acceptable anymore. There needs to be to make continue to make progress and to continue to have a positive aspect out of this. You need to hopefully win your group. And then hopefully make it like ideally the goal should be quarterfinals at the very least in 2026 with the crop of players that they have. Obviously that's very difficult. And I'm not saying that that's something, but that should be the goal. That should be what expectations should change. Yes. Expectation. Exactly. Expectations should change. You should not be like, Oh, as long as we get to the group stage or out of the group stage, that's perfect for us. The expectation should be higher than that. And there's no excuse for that not being the case. And I and if in 2026 we just make it out of the group stage and we lose in a similar fashion or we get beat like two nothing by another team or whatever, that's a failure in my opinion. So disappointing. Yeah, that's yep. how I. That's where I stand on that. So we know there's no Concacaf team left at the World Cup. Obviously, Mexico, Canada, Costa Rica, and the U.S. men's national team have all since then gone to their separate ways and countries. So. Though we will still tune in and talk about the World Cup and everything going on, we will also be transitioning to international news, breaking news. Um, Obviously, we have a hefty transfer market ahead of us, which we've already broken some exclusives on on 90min.com slash US and our Twitter accounts. But we'll be transitioning to that and previewing NWSL, MLS, Liga Mekis, which kicks off on January 6th, is the first of the league's that we cover to kick off. So oh, really? very exciting. I didn't know they started that early. That's actually pretty fun there. I didn't know that. Well, because Liga Mekis, as we will soon teach listeners, is two tournaments in each season. You have This 17, is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. Well, so you much. have to start watching now. Well, I obviously, um, yeah, but. They're super fun. Um, very exciting. We will talk into which team you should support. Oh. A little bit later on, but <laughs> as we know, just give get... me the rival of your team, and I'll pick that one. No, that's rude. No, um, I mean at this point, we might as well just be the same. At this point, you could just keep keep yeah, it up. You know, it's like Liverpool, Everton, U.S., Mexico. Mexico. Maybe let's be on 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 like the same side for once. <sighs> that seems would too easy. Be good. Would be nice. <laughs> um, but January sixth kicks off the 2023 Clausura, which okay. lasts. 17 weeks, 17 games, and then you head into Liguilla playoffs. And then after that, they have a three-week break, I believe. Um, And then you head into the 2023 Apertura, which is the second tournament of the sporting year. So there's two tournaments. It's 
the season is split into two tournaments of 17 games each and then heading into extra playoffs. And League's Cup? I mean, come on. There's so much fun And League's fun Cup stuff merging happening. with MLS and so CONCACAF Champions, Champions League. League. Oh, man. Above a summer of Women's World Cup, Gold Cup, several CONCACAF friendlies um, sprinkled in throughout the year, NWSL, MLS. Um, There's so, so much going all. on. There's, There's so, so much, much going, going on. on. That's, I mean, Nothing. that's going to be awesome. I mean, this is going to be um, League's Cup. I'm very much looking forward to. I think yeah. it's going to be a, a real fun tournament. The only problem I have, and you have the same issue, I feel like every single CONCACAF Champions League game is played is played at 10 p.m. Like, I, I don't know why, yeah, but, but I like, enjoy every time that. I want to watch that, it's 10 p.m. at night. I'm like, well, right. I guess I got to be up till midnight. You've got something coming your way because Liga MX games most most of them are played at seven and then the next round at night at nine so nine to eleven you're gonna be enjoying that um, awesome yeah. okay that's a little bit better nine's better than than ten you know <laughs> ten it gets a little late you know get a little tired it's the same thing <laughs> <laughs> but um no yeah Nothing i'm looking that, forward to it that nation's league Leagues Cup and Gun Cup Champions League can't wake you up for because there's oh, so many yeah. actions. No, yeah, there is a it, it is a lot of action. fun. It is a lot of so fun. Much chaos. I am dreading December 18th coming and the World Cup ending because that means yeah. I have to watch Everton again. And yeah, I don't want to do that. I would also dread watching this, Everton. This last month has been so nice that I I I just I'm dreading it. Dreading it. Like I'm just it's going to be like it was it was enjoyable. The US was playing well. I was enjoying everything. And now I have to go back to watching Everton play and everybody complain every single week about how bad they are. So that's gonna be fun for me, but at least I'll have all this stuff to distract us from because I was afraid I was gonna have three months before MLS started and League MX nope. started that to, to have to sit and watch this team. So I'll have well, some distractions. League MX is coming up and a very exciting transfer market which yes. is bound to be hectic because of all the world cup stuff um but to leave you off we have the likelihood that bear leverkusen will sign luis chavez um the club has made contact with the player and this goes way beyond just the tweet that they send out when he scored mm-hmm. in the world cup that club pachuca did respond to but no um sources alongside graham bailey who also works at 90 min have confirmed that they've made contact and a deal may be coming their way. So very, very exciting. Awesome. Read more on 90min.com slash US. And for- Bayer Leverkusen was just here in America. So they were. Cool. Um, we also have an insight on that because Gina went to cover them in St. Louis. Yes, yes. We'll have some more from that as well. We'll have some more from that tour as well coming up. Um, lots of stuff. Lots of fun stuff. We're also in the process of getting this on audio and getting this on fun. iTunes and Spotify. So make sure you um, also check it out and, and keep checking for that there. We'll update you guys when it's officially on those things, but it's going to be there soon. We're, we're in the process of getting that taken care of. So, so look out for that. Yep. So thanks again for listening. Subscribe, follow us on social media and yeah, we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.